Hi, I'm Aaron, and welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle Podcast, a podcast all about, well, you guessed it, hip hop. I will be interviewing artists and exploring the genre I love. My hope is that you will begin to love it as much as I do, if not more. Please like and subscribe and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for any upcoming podcast news. All right, let's get into it. And we're live. So welcome to the show. I'm with my main man, Jazz O. So if you don't know who Jazz O, he is the originator. Um, so Jazz O's been in the game since you know, the 80s. So you've been rapping for a long, long time. You've seen a lot of evolution. And also you invented the triplet rhyme technique as well. So not only have you been, you know, in the game, but you've been changing things things up. You've been leading the way and obviously mentor to Jay-Z as well, who, you know, wouldn't be where he is without you. So, I mean, you know, for me as a fan, it's a real pleasure to speak to you and for, for the fans of the show as well to hear you know, your perspective on things and, and hear about your career and, and how you found the game of hip hop and the evolution. Cool. Cool. Well, first off, uh, much appreciated. Um, thanks for having me, spending the time. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it's been, it's been a long ride. The ride's not over yet. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, for someone who's been rapping since the 80s, you know, I'm sure back when you started, you would have seen people who passed this age of 50 and gone, they're too old for the game. Whereas now we're seeing, you know, rappers such as yourself show that age is literally just a number. It's not something that defines you as an artist. Exactly. Exactly. And um, I would like to say really that Jay-Z sort of set the standard for that because when you have uh Maybe you have somebody who is not as popular doing that. You know, people may shun it and say, oh, you know, it's time for you to go sit down somewhere. (laughs) But um, somebody who is as iconic as Jay um, and he's doing it as successful at it and doing numbers and still, you know, getting the the right responses, um, you know, where people follow suit. And they say, oh, well, he's a credit to the culture. And, you know, so it's it's totally different. I think that not just he himself, but um, many of us are responsible for that. I think that what they call the golden era of hip hop is very, was very influential in doing that because it was our generation of contemporaries who basically um, set that standard, you know, um, for all intents and purposes, we stayed young. And the ones who uh, were no longer motivated, they saw us continue on as far as not just uh, not just emceeing or rhyming, but, you know, as far as I'm concerned with uh, production, they're like, why can't I do it? Why can't I keep on? I'm still a commodity. You know, most still have um, a reasonable skill set. So why not? You know what I'm saying? Definitely. Well, I mean, the I'm assuming you refer in the golden age of hip hop in the you know mid to late '90s with your your Biggies, your Tupac, your Wu Tang Clan. You know, Nas dropped his album Mob Deep. 
um, you know, Reasonable Doubt as well, Jay-Z. So you've got all these classic albums that came out during that period. Um, what do you think kind of, where do you think that ended? Where do you think that golden period kind of ended and then we had to rebuild the culture again? I think with the bringing in of uh, or the influx of the digital music game and the game being changed, uh, uh, FM radio in the States is not uh, as influential as it used to be, you know, with the uh, with the intervention of uh, uh, Sirius XM, um, you know, satellite and uh, other digital radio stations, all the independent radio stations. And then with the, um, the platforms, the digital platforms, uh, where streaming became more popular than record sales, um, that pretty much uh, slapped that whole uh, modus operandi in the face, if you will. And how do you, how do you feel about that? Because at one, on one hand, I look at streaming and I turn around and go, well, it gives a lot of artists a lot of opportunity. Like you don't have to be mainstream to really be able to make a career in music because people can get easy access to your music. But on the other hand, it's become very diluted. So to actually find those really good artists, you actually have to know what you're looking for. You have to, you know, search for specific producers. You have to know who's working with who and actually be really down with the game. Exactly. Um, yeah, so it, like you said, it's a give and take. Um, it has its advantages, has its cons. Um, but I think that it would be more to everyone's advantage. Uh, what I find with a lot of my contemporaries is they go about it on the uh, marketing level, you know, the same way that they went about it before, you know. Whereas, to be honest, most of us didn't even do any of that. You know, now it's a more entrepreneuristic um, uh, playing field, if you will. So um, the things that we did in the 90s to promote ourselves, we just did the regular street stuff. and We didn't do half of that. You know, the record companies did everything. Whatever they didn't do, they outsourced. So it was a whole different game now. Um, and like I said, I try to tell some of my contemporaries, like, look, don't knock, you know, don't knock these young artists, you know, the entrepreneurs, don't knock all of that situation, you know. You can't beat them, you know, like, you, you know, like they say, you can't beat them, join them, you know, even if you don't join them, just watch what they do. If, if what they're doing is successful, then take what you have. If you feel this, if you feel as if it's uh, just as much a commodity or more of a commodity, then, you know, just uh, join your product to that type of marketing and win. Simple as that. You know, I'm not mad at it. It's just different. You know, it's simple modification. Yeah, I think, you know, you touch on a really important point, and that is the adapt. And hip-hop is, to me, the genre that has adapted the most to technology, to societal changes, to everything. Like, we look at, you know, even the evolution of hip-hop in a short period of time, we've gone from, you know, on the block, the street parties to you know, mainstream to gangster rap to trap music to the beats changing 
and that's all within like a 50 year period, less 40 years. So right. we, we look at, you know, as much as we can turn around and go, oh, I prefer what it was doing in the, in the golden era at the same time, hip hop is what it is because it changes so quickly. That's right. Very adaptable. I mean, the, the genre itself is a hybrid of two or three different genres of music. So, you know, where it incorporated, you know, the uh, break beats and, um, you know, jazz licks and R&B loops, you know what I'm saying? So um, it's it's adaptable by nature almost. Um, so what I, what I find is uh, it will continue to do so. Um, I look at, again, I look at some of my contemporaries and, it it makes me feel as if they're not, and I don't mean just age, but it makes me it makes me feel as if they're getting old, because you know, you remember uh, when people talked about different genres of music, like maybe your parents said, "Oh, you know that rock music, you know it's the devil's music," and you know the <laughs> same or similar things were said about you know hip hop you know, which was, you know, originally called like B-boy music. And they were saying, you know, oh, it's negative and, you know, all they talk about is violence. And, you know, around that time, you know, they were making uh, raps about stay in school and don't do drugs. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was nothing in comparison to now, but, you know, it's the same thing. And I, and I tell them, like, look, you don't have to like what's, you know, a lot of the music and what the... uh the younger generation is talking about, you know, there's some really good songs, you know, on, you know, in, in the digital market, there's some really sucky songs. There are a lot of songs you can pick about 120 of them and they'll all sound pretty much the same, but the same thing applies to music in the nineties, you know, how we talk about like, yeah, you know, people want to uh, relate back to, Oh yeah, in the nineties, you know, it was, that's when hip hop was hip hop and this, that, and the other. I mean, there were a lot of people who put out records and we used to laugh all the time. You know, like, oh, they are trash. Oh, this is trash. This is trash. This is trash. You know, so it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You know, people tend to, I think it's a a, a layers thing with people and, you know, and uh an ego thing also where like your error, the error that you like is the best error. It's not just the error that you like or you prefer or that you thrived in. It's, it's automatically the best error. You know what I'm saying? And that's not really the case. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think, you know, when we look at people from my generation, they'll turn around and go and point to the people, you know, 2000s hip-hop artists, you know, people like 50 Cent, Eminem, and then you've obviously got the young, the young generation who didn't grow up on on even that era. Who you know had you know I I can't believe it either. But like you know, people who were born in two thousand are twenty one now. So that's like to me, they won't even have been around when all the hip hop that I enjoy was like my my personal taste. So you're right that age kind of limits your ability to go back and enjoy it but you know for me because i was born in 94 um so you know by the time i even started listening to hip-hop um it it was like a task part of my 
love was to be able to go back and appreciate those classic albums. But you're right, you know, for every generation, they will have a classic album. But for every classic album, we have 10 that uh, that trash. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's all relevant in any era, you know. And it's funny, um, like what, what we talk about, um, like I can talk to somebody maybe two generations you know, younger than myself. And, you know, what I say is old school. You know, we think that there's a, a standard, like, you know, from this time to this time, it's officially old school. But in reality, you know, old school is whatever is old school to that age group. And uh, what made me laugh one time was um, on 106 and Park. I think the year was about, I think it was about 2000, 2010, something like that. Um, it was a little while before um, 106 and Park uh, went off the air with um, with Free and uh, what's his name, AJ, I think. Yeah, so they were playing, you know, every part of certain part of the show, they played an old school song of the day. And it was Ain't No Nigga. And I was like, what? <laughs> Do you know the song? Yeah, Jay-Z. You produced that. Yeah. So I was like, what? And I was like, man. I was like, God, I'm getting old fast. Or they just speeding everything up or something. <laughs> you know, so old, so old school, you know, is just like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. You know, depending upon, you know, your age group and, you know, and then context too, because we did label a certain, regardless of generation, we did label a certain uh, era as old school. And um, it was like around um, old school at first was like when you're talking about um, Zulu Nation, you know, Africa Bambada, you know, Cold Crush and, Fantastic Romantic Five and Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, you know, that was old school. But like now it's, you know, whatever is old to the individual. Well, I mean, now most people wouldn't even know half the names that you mentioned. And right. they're the originators of hip hop. They're the the people who made hip hop what it is today without there, we wouldn't even have the genre that we're talking about. But, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, growing up in like, and, and being prevalent in the nineties, could you feel that this is as good as it gets? Like, how did it feel listening to the music and seeing all the drops and making music at that time where you've literally got classic album after classic album? I've had this conversation with someone else and you just think that, you know, like we're all, we're all pushing each other to our limits. And we weren't really so much concerned. Like, you know, it's just like times that you look back on like, Oh, that was such a memorable time. But, you know, during the experience, it's just like, Oh, we just, you know, we joking around, we go into the studio, we clowning. You know, we go into the club, the industry parties, you know, um, then we back in the studio. Or we had, yo, such and such just put out 
a new joint. Yo, it's crazy. You know, on one side, we're congratulating the individual. On the other side, it's like, yeah, let me let me go in here and scribe something real quick, you know, because I got to keep my bars up. Yeah. So, it, it you know, it was – but it, it was a special time, and, and there were a lot of moments, I have to admit, that even though we took those days for granted because we – we we had so much to to deal with, especially um, with us uh, starting to get you know um, you know deals and 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 work you know as far as tours and and writing and producing. It just became and and we we took that for granted a little bit. You know, I can I can speak for myself. I can say I did um, because for the most part, I mean, I was getting it. And it was coming so freely and you almost take it for granted. And just like the, the uh, times, the events, you know, and the, the songs, you know, the um, we didn't realize um, how talented even the people that, you know, we used to laugh at that made songs. You know, we didn't we took for granted their talent because now uh and I'm just being honest, in order to get a um, in order for these guys to get to make songs where they're actually rhyming on the beat, like, you know, they need all sorts of they need surgery done. You know, the, the engineers nowadays, they have to be like. Very, in, very in tune, they have to know all of the um, digital recording works like backwards. Because that's all they're doing, you know. They, you know, the engineers now are editors, they're music editors, practically. You know, moving, moving vocals and stuff like that. You know, then with the auto tune and this, you know, the the level of doctoring of vocals that take place today is ridiculous. I mean, you can even hear it. Of course, the average listener doesn't pay attention to that because they don't really understand the full mechanics of making a record, but it's like you took for, we took for granted, like even the so-called bums the you know, that we listened to and we, you know, we snickered at. We didn't do it like personally, like it wasn't a personal thing, but it's like some of them we like, you know, don't quit your day job. And, <laughs> and you know, so for the most part, but like those guys were still talented because they didn't we didn't have the technology back then to to move vocals and and all of that sort of thing. And, you know, so it was a totally, it was a totally different ball game. So now like these guys can't, if they didn't have um, pro tools, I mean, oh, there's no telling. And auto tunes, there's no telling what, what, the, what this music would sound like. Well, I mean, you, you, you touch on something that's probably really, a really good point is that because you didn't have the technology to change the voice, change the pacing, it forced you to get better. Like you're either good or you're not in that era. Like you either can hit the beat or you can't. Your your flow either is smooth or it's chopping. It doesn't make sense. So whereas now I was speaking to Young Welder, literally a young producer who just signed with Benny the Butcher's label, and he said something very similar. He said that the education in terms of the music knowledge, how to structure a song, what notes they need to hit and how to use auto-tune effectively, like you said, 
you'll pick up on it when an artist doesn't know how to do that. Whereas the point of auto-tune is actually not for you to notice that auto-tune is there. As soon as you notice it, it means the artist isn't using it correctly. So there is a lot of that. And I think that goes back to the point that education of music just hasn't been sunk in, especially to a large proportion of the hip hop community. Right. Correct. Yeah. So for you, obviously, you know, coming up, how did you start getting into rapping? Like what was your, how did you learn about it? And then you were like, okay, this is something I want to do. Oh man. Uh, so um, when I was about 12, 13, um, that's when, you know, it was really about uh, not even disco music, but like um, dance music. It was just like a, a version of soul music that um, permeated the the clubs and, you know, the block parties and, and new what was new radio at the time. Because there was a there was a station in New York, uh, WBLS. At that time, they played like um, they started as a jazz station, and then um, moved into becoming more like a jazz slash fusion, um, and then eventually, you know, an R and B station. But they used to play a lot of these song, a lot of these songs that you know became um, what we know as like break beats and stuff that you know we started sampling um so when i started you know um they had block parties you know in the parks you know where they talk about um you know jacking the juice from the light post and you know that be your electricity for your setup you know two turntables mixes and your woofers and everything so um Really, it started out as being DJs and DJs just started talking to the crowd. You know, the DJs who could afford, you know, the mic set up and everything. You know, they talked to the crowd and um, the ones who didn't really have the personality to talk to the crowd. You know, they had a stand in that stand in became what we know today as the MC. And um, we had a couple you know, in my projects where I grew up, Marcy Houses, and um, a neighbor of mine who was a good friend of the family, he said, you know, yeah, I bet you can't do that. I bet you can't um, MC on a mic and stuff like that. And so he was using reverse, reverse psychology, and I fell into it on purpose. And so I wrote this little eight-bar rhyme. He was very fascinated. And, you know, in my head, you know, and this is the beginning of the end. And um, so I started writing more um, after a while, like when I got into uh, um, late in junior high school, um, you know, I started getting with a couple of people, but then I was still doing this solo. Um, just stuff just started coming to me. Um, and I have to say, like, uh, in school, before even junior high school, um, I had a teacher in my, it was my fifth grade homeroom teacher, and her name was Ms. Pudal, and she was, um, she was also my English teacher. And we did, everything was literary stuff, like, you know, everything, literary, reading, literary, literary. Um, so 
I learned um, a lot of what's, what today I recognize as um, terms in poetic license from that time, you know, um, and started to utilize it, started to get books on, you know, different uh, poet, you know, poetry techniques, learning about prose and, you know, the, the standard, you know, structures, stanzas and stuff like that. And um, it helped my rhyming and it helped my rhyming as far as like, you know, cueing the DJ and everything else, because then I understood bars and measures. So um, that's where it started. Man. And when did you come across the triplet rhyme? Like, when did you start? Did you ever acknowledge and go, this is something new that I haven't heard before? Or were you just kind of doing what felt right? What happened was it was it, it, a, little, a lot of it was on purpose. And um, but, well, let me tell you the story. I'm going to be as quick about it as possible. No, you um, take your time, my friend. So appreciate it. So, um, you know, we, we had two DJs in, in my crew. And one of them was a uh, cool KG. So KG is where um, we always went when we wanted to, you know, make a tape. And back then, a mixtape was actually a cassette tape. It wasn't, you know, any other medium. It was a cassette tape. And so I was writing this rhyme, and there were too many syllables to fit within that line for me to say what I wanted to say. So I had to speed it up. I had to, you know, um, I had to upgrade or modify the time signature for those two or three syllables, right? So when I did it and it was recorded on tape, um, KG kept listening to it over and over. He was like, what is that? What'd you do? <laughs> he was like, I know what you said, but what did you do? And he was like, yo, you should do that more. You should do that a lot more. And, you know, I paid some attention to it, but not a lot, you know, because I was, by that time I was, you know, I was, I was so into myself and my skill set and everything. I was like, oh, I could do that or I could do anything. You know, they're going to love it. They're going to love it. I'm hot. You know? <laughs> so, um, so then years later, um, not even years later, but maybe like a, a couple of years um, uh, after, you know, Jay-Z and I had met and, you know, I, you know, it was no longer too much of us uh, as far as making music with, you know, turntables. We were more into the drum machines and keyboards. So, you know, I had a little setup. And, you know, I would make beats and we just rhyme with people would call practice, but we just rhyme and we, we just love to do it. And he was like, he was like, that style, we should do that more. We should do that more. Like, you know, the fast style, that's, that's going to be our thing. The fast style, you should do that more. So um, in 85, we made a song called HP Gets Busy. And it was, um, it came out in 86. And uh, it was myself, Jay-Z, um, and two brothers, 
from Long Island, and they were actually Cool KG's cousins, um, Easy LD and Almond Joy. Right, we were the H, we were HP, which was high potent MC. Uh, did a song called HP Gets Busy. Um, and, you know, we didn't do it all over the song, but, you know, Jay-Z and I, we were doing that. You know, we were doubling up and tripling up on our syllables, you know, changing the time signature and everything else. So that sort of became my thing. And then, uh, I guess uh, in 80, uh, I, get the deal. I got the deal in 88 and 89, I came out with uh, what was released, my first uh, LP um, on EMI Records or Word to the Jazz. And, um, you know, I did a little bit on that album, but the second album, To Your Soul, I had a song called The Originators. And that's when Jay-Z and I, we both exhibited, you know, practically the whole, our whole verses, you know, with the triplet style. Um, after that, it, it became super popular, you know, so these guys doing this, this rhyme style that nobody else is doing. And, uh, you know, and now, you know, people doing uh, different syncopations, different time signatures, doubling up and everything else. And um, they kind of make us obscure about it. So that, so I always, I'm always extra open and willing to express the fact that I am the originator of the triplet style and I am the originator of the doubling up of, you know, the time signature on beats. You know, on record, you know, because if you don't do it, who's going to do it? If I don't say it, you know, you might get some people who say it and know about it. They may not have the platform necessary for the masses to to know. That's true. And honestly, you know, if if people don't know how important this is to hip hop, understand that it changed the way people rhyme. Understand that it changed the way people saw verses, the way people structured it, and it opened the door for more changes to the flow. So the the invention and the the new style cannot be underplayed in terms of its importance in the evolution of hip hop. And I think that sometimes we don't do a do enough service to the people who change the style of flow, who change the the rhyme technique. I think as fans, we're just like, oh, that sounds good but we can't recognize the real change. Like what is it that was different and how did that move forward? So now, nah, man, you know, you may not get the props, but for anyone who, who listens to this show, understand that this was a huge development in hip hop and especially how early it was. Like we're talking the eighties and, you know, the originator that came out in the nineties, uh, 90, actually 1990. So you look at how early that was, um, and and now when you look back and you listen to those to other tracks, you can start to hear the influence from none other than Jazz O. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you had Das Effects, you had Crisscross. Um, there were a couple of other cats, maybe not as popular, but those those were some of the standouts who had songs, and that's exactly what they were doing. You touched on 
Jay-Z. When did you meet Jay-Z? Because, you know, when you met him, there's no way of knowing he becomes who he is today. Like he does, he becomes the rap mogul and, you know, the, the businessman and, you know, married to Beyonce, another icon in terms of the music industry. But right. how did you right. meet? Um, well, we met in, uh, yeah, I don't know the year. It must have been like uh, 80, maybe like 84. Um, what happened was I had recently come home from, from college, I had dropped out of college. Um, and uh, I don't know if you know who Nike from the Shirt Kings is. No, I don't. Yeah, well, um, do you, you remember like uh, all of the rap artists and DJs used to have these acrylic, um, these acrylic and water, um, not watercolor, but um, I forgot the, the medium. But you know, with the Mickey Mouse with the gold chains and yeah, yeah, all yeah, the sweatshirts and yeah, that was that was the Shirt Kings. They were famous for that. Um, so my boy Knight, who actually lived around the same way that Jay lived, um, when I came home from from college, you know, he was. I mean, he was just like my number one advocate. He he would tell everybody like. Yo, y'all know jazz is home. Nobody's better than jazz. You know, everything is it, weird. Like that whole world, like everything was, everything was, was hip hop and it was B-boy, you know? So everything was, you know, Adidas with the, with the fat laces, you know, the mock necks and the shark skin pants. Everything was that, the, the um, suede fronts, you know? Um, so he was like, he was like, yo, jazz is back home. Nobody better than jazz. And then somebody mentioned um, Jay. And they didn't really know his uh, his MC tag for, because he didn't have one. And, um, you know, um, so Nike was was the big. There's another story with Nike, too. He was like the big um, rap battle promoter almost. So... He was like, nah, he ain't better than jazz. So let's let's get them together and we'll see. So he set up the meeting on my side. He called me. He was like, yo, we're gonna bring him over there, you know, you know, so y'all could battle was like, you know, and in my head, I was like, he don't wanna battle me. I was so full of myself, it was ridiculous, <laughs> but you know, it was like he don't wanna battle me. And um, so when he got there, you know, they made the introduction and um, he's like, yo, so, you know, Nike, you know, Nike is all and he's like, so what's up? We're going to rob. We're going to rob first. <laughs> so, you know, me and Jay looking at each other and I'm just shrugging my shoulders. I'm like, I don't care. And um, he was so hesitant. And I was like, all right, let me rob first. So I laid it down and, you know, I could tell he was impressed and then he rhymed and he could tell I was impressed. And uh, I was like, wow, this is the first time I ever heard somebody who, um, whose skill set reminded me of myself. And so that, be that was the beginning of 
of us, you know, writing together, you know, because back then the thing was routines. If it was more than one of y'all, then y'all had to have a routine. Y'all was whack if you didn't have a routine where you going back and forth. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so we started writing routines, and you know, when somebody had the music out, like it can't, it became a problem. Like, you know, when they see us coming, they're like, "Oh, here come Jazz and Jay Z! Here come Jazz and Jay Z!" <laughs> It was crazy. It's like the Wild West, like when, um, you know, when the, the fastest gun walks in the saloon. And so, um, you know, we used to do that. Then we went to other neighborhoods doing it. Then we went uptown doing it. Like, I remember, uh, I remember these guys before they even put out records. Like, I remember Dougie Fresh before he ever put out a record. Um, uh, Rob Bass, you know, before he ever put out a record. You know, but these guys used to be out there the same way we were out there in our projects, you know, at the music, you know, they were doing the same thing. Um, and that's 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 what began that whole situation. And um, it just so happens, like, you know, we did HP gets busy together. We kept writing. Um, you know, we got into other things, you know. You know the street will you know will determine for you, and then uh, in '88, you know I got some uh, I got some phone calls, and uh, I had some people who wanted to meet with me, some people who wanted to manage, and all of that led to um, the deal with EMI. When that came up, you know the A and R was asking me, so who you? You know, they, they wanted to bring me to, to London. I don't know if they're trying to wash money or they just thought it was a good idea to work with um, uh, Brian Chuck New of, um, you know, Kumo D fame. I don't know if you're familiar. I'm, I'm familiar with who he is, just not with his, his stuff. Not his work, right. So, yeah, he's most known for that as far as hip-hop is concerned um, with uh, Kumo D stuff. Um, so. Um, I told him, I was like, yeah, I'm bringing my boy. You know what I'm saying? Not my boy like my son, but my boy like my my little brother, my friend. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like you endorsed him. Like you were like, I right. endorse, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And a lot, of, a lot of things with that and a lot of, a lot of what people don't know about my situation with EMI was that, um, I had numerous standoffs with, you know, the, the um, you know, the higher ups, the, the VPs and whatnot, because, you know, there were things that they said, well, look, he's not signed. He can't get this and that and the other. I was like, well, split it in half. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's, that's just where I was with it. And there were a lot of standoffs where they were like, look, we're going to pay for you to go here at a specific time, but we're not paying for his flight. We're not paying for anybody else's flight. I was like, well, I'm not going. Y'all can't promote the record without me. So it became a situation like that. I guess I was a problem, but I just felt it was only right. And I respected the business. I didn't look at it like they were saying something wrong. It was just that being that it's my deal, and um, 
I'm the commodity here. Let me, you know, let me push my weight around a little bit for something that I saw was pretty reasonable. I don't think I was being unreasonable. So, um, so then, yeah, that was that was the beginnings of uh, Jay Z and myself. And how did how did the label take that? Like, they obviously, you know, I think we all know companies aren't so keen to splash the cash, but how did they take? You know, you're they give you a deal and you're willing and very ready to just be like, This is what I need, this is what I want. Um, and and obviously you had standoffs, but how did they react to to that type of you know demand and that type of willingness to to ask for what you want? Well, fortunately, um I had um uh, people in high places that advocated you know, my wishes. So it, 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 it turned out pretty cool. It wasn't until they changed regimes that, uh, you know, a couple of people, you know, moved, they moved a couple of people around that, you know, my, uh, my power structure dwindled, <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it was, it was cool. And, but everybody knew I was being reasonable, but in the name of business, they were like, look, you know, you got to be more business like, but they didn't realize that it was with, with Jay and myself, it was business and it was personal. So it wasn't a situation where it's like, now nah, I'm at my homie. So, you know, we could, we could go in this town and, you know, tear things up or, or whatever the case may be. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't even like that. And, and I think, um, for the most part, I accomplished what I set out to do. And what that was is to not have him go through the rigors that I had to go through in order to get to a certain point, you know, because I knew that it, he still was going to have obstructions. He still was going to have issues, you know, on his way to, you know, where he is now. But. I knew that if I could, if I could go through some of these things, and instead of him uh, maybe partnering up or affiliating himself with someone who is less worthy, there. What I mean by that is somebody who is not really sincerely willing to um, sacrifice anything or devote a significant amount of anything to his success. You know, I figured I'd jump in, let me do it. And I figured that he was worth it on a on a skill set level, on a talent level, he was worth it. And that was to me my contribution to not just hip hop, but to the music industry was to let somebody that I know with a high skill set, you know, be the um be the most listened to you know, as or as much as possible, because we know in everything that deals with money, there is politics. Politics almost it, it, it's actually synonymous with money. So, but yeah, it's just um, funny. They probably would jump at the opportunity. Any label would jump on the opportunity to have Jay Z, you know, repping them, and and it's just funny that they were they were arguing with you over over you know shouting him a flight. I'm sure they would pay his quote these days. Right, probably get a better seat than me. Yeah. Back, 
if they knew what they knew then and it was like oh we're on a budget but we can you know we'll charter a plane jay-z has been very open about not being 100 percent sure about you know when he was young about heading into the music industry he was selling drugs and he was making money from selling drugs on the streets and there was you know there's always a, a point in someone's life when they decide this is not the path and want to head down did you see that for him that he was you know contemplating not actually getting into the music industry and that he just wanted to continue making money in the streets um yeah i can only speak i mean that's something that he would have to answer but i can only speak on what i what i know and what i can say um is that he often mentioned that um you know he, you know I'm, I'm sure it's documented the times he talked about retiring from the music but there were also times i think things just got a little hot in the streets um and something more substantial was necessary and the opportunity had arisen so that made it very accommodating for him to jump into the music i mean he had you know he had the um he was he was heavily facilitated he had me uh you know we had um you know we had partnered on a, a few things with uh dj clark kent uh you know dang dash had um you know clark had introduced us to dang dash uh I was doing some independent stuff and I started um, producing um, much more heavily. So, you know, I guess the, the time was right and it was a, a situation where he could, you know, make uh, clean money, if, if, if you will, clean money. Well, you know, very thankful that he did go down that path. I think we've seen a lot of artists and a lot of people get, stung by that type of life you know people who haven't actually moved on and still continue to live that straight life and think that that's something they need to do to uphold their image and then you know they they pay the ultimate price unfortunately so you know lucky for us um that you and jay-z and that every all those artists who made it out you know continue to do so but i was going to ask you because something that's well documented i'm sure you're in a way kind of tired of talking about you know, um, and people ask you all the time, but there was a period where your relationship with Jay Z was not on good terms, and you guys, oh, yeah, no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm um, sorry, you finish, please. <laughs> I just, I'm just aware that you know you're synonymous with Jay Z, so you must get a lot of questions about it. So I'm just yeah, obviously. Yeah, so um, you know, I'm I'm shooting my shot. I'm like, I, I love I love just hearing you know stories. But at, looking back, how did that make you feel? It's sort of like you almost birth the the person who he is, and then you guys are having a long term kind of you know period where you're not on good terms. Well, I mean, I didn't trip. The only issue I had was don't think that you're going to say something about me in a negative, you know, uh, you know, anything negative and expect me not to uh, bounce it right back off you. You know, don't expect that. 
because you know I, I'm I'm gonna come at you. You come you coming for me? I'm gonna come right back for you. So that was really it. But what I understood was on Jay Z's come up, there were a lot of people around, and you know how it is when somebody's on the come up. You have to di differentiate between you know friend and foe, and sometimes the one closest to you is the one most dangerous, and especially when there's money involved. You know, you got people. You know, you got you got cats bucking to be the man sitting next to the man. You know, I was I was very much hated. You know. And and I didn't I didn't flaunt it or anything like that. Like it was just regular, it was regular, regular for, for us, you know. But people people were so jealous of my so-called status with him, you know, and it created a lot of things. So, you know, it begat the he said, she said, you know, and for the most part, you know, during that time, like there were certain things, you know, hindsight, I understand what was going on with him. And I'm sure that hindsight for him, there, there were a lot of things with me that he didn't get during that time. But I think he understands now that um, I never I never had any. I never wanted anything from him, material or otherwise. You know, you were my friend, you my brother, or you not. You know what I'm saying? I I I tried the way of acceptance. You know, um, what I control is right here. And that's what influences the exterior. So I kept it at that, but the problem was you had people. And sometimes, you know, with all the things going on, you know, he you know, and I'm not making an excuse for his behavior. Only he can tell you exactly what. But from my standpoint, it was it was too much going on. He didn't really have time for that. So and then I started not being around because I recognize these individuals for what they are. And I think that it, you know, it became misunderstood. Like, you know, um, my my validity was without representation because I wasn't around. So it, you know, it became a little funny. So in looking through his eyes, he probably didn't know, was it, um, was it something, um, you know, maybe I, I, I was feeling bitter or, you know, later on, you know, I guess he realized that I just didn't want to be around it, you know, because I knew who was around him. And I knew that me being around was sort of a distraction, you know, and I'll come around like you call me, you need a beat, you need the talk, you need um, somebody that you know you can trust, just call me, I'll be there. You know, besides that, I don't know what to tell you because, you know, there were certain types of people around him. So, um, then begat that he said, she said, and just a bunch of confusion. And all of a sudden in the media, it, there's some type of beef. And then, um, 
you know, he, you know, he made certain statements and, you know, I'm going to come back and make my own statements and I'll make sure that everything I say is valid and the truth. And I don't know where a lot of it came from, but I, I, I put my money on the fact that it was um, a level of insecurity due to, you know, a lot of the input that um, came from people that were around him. Yeah, I think it's difficult for, you know, anyone who starts to see success, you know, people start to hang around and they see it as competition just to be who's their number two, so to speak, who's the person that they trust the most, who's the person that they go to for help. And I guess you had a target on your back um, from from the beginning in terms of, you know, people around him. And it's hard because, you know, as that individual, you have to be able to differentiate between people who are there to help you and people who are not and just there for self-serving reasons. And I think, you know, that was part of Jay-Z's growing up. I think a lot of artists go through that. And that is why, you know, a lot of artists still have their childhood friends around them because they know that they were there from the beginning rather than people who just happen to be show up while you're actually successful. Right. And you notice, I mean, you've seen a lot of, um, you know, made for TV uh, uh, movies and stuff like that about, you know, different singing groups and stuff. You know, how they always trying to separate them. You know, the most talented individual always has somebody whispering in their ear, you know, saying like, yeah, you know, or whoever's the center of attention at the time, always somebody in their ear saying something to separate them from, you know, their foundation. For the most part, the people that got them to that point. Yeah, it's that, you know, you don't need them. Like, you know, forget about them. Like you're better. Yeah. It's the, and, and then they turn around, they're like, who said that? But the thought is already in their mind that the, they've, that they don't need the people who help them become who they are. They don't need that support. And now that they're ready and, you know, it happens in every genre. It's not just hip hop. You see it all the time. You see it more yeah. than not. And it is because literally of what you said that, you know, people start giving you the wrong messages because they see their opportunity and they know that they don't have the talent or the skill to become as good, but they know that if they can tie themselves to that person, that they, that's how they will make it. That's right. That's right. I mean, that's why having trusted people around you was so important, but I got to say your diss of Jay-Z is still a really good song. I like, I still, oh. I still, I listened to it this morning before we spoke and I was like, as much as it's a diss track, it sounds great. The flow is fantastic. And yeah, <laughs> still, and I go, hey, a good track is a good track. At the end of the day, it makes no difference. Facts. And and I, I, I have to agree with you on that one. Like, I, I really love the song. I don't necessarily, like, it really... I have to be honest, it hurt me to, even though I was telling the truth, it hurt me to say things and direct them toward him or for the most part, anybody. It it hurt me to do that. It hurt me to make it. But, you know, my, my standpoint was, you know, I have children old enough to hear this stuff. So, 
you're not going to talk about me and make me look a certain way to my kids, you know, and my family for the most part, you know, and me not come back. And when I come, I'm coming right. But um, I do like the song. I like I like that beat. I almost I'm I'm tempted to make a new song from that same beat. Yeah, I love that beat. It's just got this feel to it. Like you just nod your head. You just I just was sitting by myself, just just rocking the head. It just there's just something about it. Yeah. That yeah. to me is is a good song. And the actual the first song that I ever heard of yours, funnily enough, is Sixty Second Assassins. Um with Buster Rhymes. That was the first yeah. song. I just I was going through a fast hip hop stage where I was enjoying fast rappers. So you were on track with Buster Rhymes, Lazy Bone, Twister, and then you came off and finish it. And obviously DJ K Slade produced it. But when it was so fascinating to me because I noticed that not only do you sound very different to obviously the other three, but when you were rapping, you were so solid in terms of your feet position. Like you were just, a lot of rappers move around a lot. Whereas I noticed that you were just very stable and you moved with your hands, but your feet just stayed in the same spot. Have you, is that just what makes you feel comfortable? Um, it's because it's because like, you know, with your vocals, um, if you're doing a lot of moving around and stuff, it's going to affect your vocals. And it's sort of like a gift and a curse. So when I'm performing the verse, like for the even for the video, I'm not lip syncing. I'm performing the verse. So automatically, just subconsciously, I'm staying still. I'm not going to move but so much just because it, it's going to affect my vocals, even though I know consciously that what I'm putting out is not going to be heard on the video, but I'm performing the vocal. Subconsciously, I'm in that booth, you know, so I don't want to mess up the vocal. It's crazy, but that's, that's, my, that's my thought. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it works. So... You know, at the end of the day, it was dope. And I literally, from that point, I had to be like, like I'd known of Buster Rhymes and I had known of Twister already. And and then I was like, all right, this is cool. But I was going to ask you about, you know, rapping fast. That is a skill in itself. And there's a difference between rapping fast and rapping fast in a way that people can still understand and still hear every word that you say. It's not supposed to be just, you know, unintelligible yeah. nonsense you actually have to hear the words that are coming out and if you slowed it down it would still make sense and you could still hear the whole thing but how is that a learned technique like where did you pick that up because that is you know a completely different skill set in itself to just being able to write rhymes uh yeah first of all thank you secondly um because as you can see i do not talk fast so it's not that. It's just, <laughs> to me, it's kind of like some otherworldly thing um, where I just get into a zone and I do speak clearly. So I, I do have the ability to adjust, you know, um, my, my, I guess it's my, my tongue or, in, you know, the muscles in my mouth to, to go from a certain syllable to another syllable 
quickly. And that in, and then I have um I have the lungs, like I have a, a breathing technique with my rhymes because I want everything to be crystal clear. So I have this technique where I can really take in air very fast and and be ready to, you know, to come out with the next syllable. So it's it's um it's it's sort of a self-learned, you know, it's just something that you you I mean I, I I guess I'm a natural, like it just came naturally. It's just cool to me that you you can switch it on because like you said, you're not naturally a fast talker. Like you are deliberate, <laughs> controlled in, in what you say and how you say it. But when you when you spit and you just go for it, like it just sounds so easy. And there's a difference between people who can fast rap and people who are really good at it. And the difference to me is, one looks like it's hard and the other looks like it's effortless. And the true skill is to make it feel like it's easy and you could do that every day, all day. And I think for everyone in that track, they can make it sound effortless. Like when I listen to Twister, Buster Rhymes, they make it sound like this is another day at the park. Whereas Mm -hmm. the the new rapper, I kind of think of it as like, Logic started the the wave of the young fast rap, but everyone now feels that they have to do it to show off that they can. But the skill mm-hmm. is actually being able to do it well enough that it sounds effortless. That you're not trying that you could do this every day. Right. Yeah, it sounds like I don't know what that sounds like between that and the auto tones, just mumble jumbo. It's hard in the content as well. You still got to hear content. And I guess that is the challenge because you're speaking so fast, you have to feel the verse. Like your verse goes a lot faster. So you need more lyrics and you need more rhymes in there so that you can actually do it. So I think that's also something that's underrated is your actual, you know, 16 bars. 16 is like a 32. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, um, Sometimes it, it, it's aggravating as far as like those nights because it does become a it does come to a point where it becomes work. And those times is when you really show what you're about. You know, it's like, okay, I gotta be consistent. You know, those are the times where you start thinking about your brand, you know, your rap. You know, all of those, all of those things, some superficial, some very important, you know, depending upon the uh, the context. Um, you know, you don't want the wrong person here, you slipping, you know. It may take you two, three years to live it down. Um, well, I was going to ask you, because some of my friends actually asked me, why is dissing in hip-hop so big and how can a song destroy a career because in no other genre do you have the same phenomenon where literally one diss track or one line can destroy your career and you can never you know get back to the status quo what do you think that is about hip-hop um because it's it's too much reality and like like i don't know about now but well still now it's it's prevalent um Hip hop is like a musical reality show. 
you know, because a lot of times um, people who come out with records, they, they know each other personally. They come from the same hoods or the same neighborhoods, or, you know, and, you know, a lot of times there's, there's sometimes there's friendly competition. Sometimes there's not so friendly competition. And, you know, people who know something about somebody, they'll exploit it. They're like, oh, this is my chance to bury this cat. Let me just let me let him have it real quick. So um, that is that is that. But um, the source of all of that, um, a lot of a lot of the culture of B-Boy was based upon competition because um, it started with the DJ battles. Then you had the um, breakdance battles, the electric boogie battles, you know. Um, and along with that came the MC battles. You know, one of the uh, iconic um, battles that I know of was when um, Cold Crush Brothers went up against uh, Fantastic Five MCs. Um, and I mean, these were this, of course, this is before social media, before hip hop was renowned worldwide. Um, man, you talking about this was mega, you know, in New York. This was like a big, this was a big deal. And the word got around. The word got around up and down the East Coast, you know, the cold crush one, and then it was up in the air. The second one and all it was a it was big, but that was for the most part the basis of, um, you know, uh, MCing, you know, was was battling like, you know, and the the thing was to be, you know, the best. So if you be one guy, you know, it was time to step up. It's kind of like boxing, you know, you know, you start off with the bums. And then, you know, you work your way up and that's when you start getting, you know, notoriety and everything else. And that's that's just how it went, you know. I think I think you probably hit on something that I hadn't thought about, but is a really important point is that it's the drive to be the best and that it is a competition and hip hop is like it's a mindset. And that is why I love hip hop. And people ask me, you know, Aaron, you you grew up in Australia, away from hip hop. You grew up in what I would call, you know, a pretty lucky position. Both my parents were were not born here, but I, you know, was what I consider fortunate in terms of my own upbringing. How can you listen to a genre that is so different from everything you understand? And I guess my explanation is just like that. It is a mindset, that competition and that drive to win. Mm-hmm. Add on the beats, add everything else onto it, but that is what attracted me to to the genre and now like you can just feel it that drive that mentality to always improve and always to be better regardless of where you are in your career is why hip-hop is still attractive exactly exactly always um raising the bar in some aspect or another yeah that's that's why i implore I implore my my contemporaries to stay in the game. You know what I'm saying? Because they have a lot to offer. Um, Skill set. I I think that, um, you know, there are a lot of individuals who 
have the the same skill set or you know relatively comparable and um I implore them to keep doing it because the game needs it you know I don't want to hear I don't I mean of course if I don't want to hear just don't listen but if I do listen I don't want to hear 100 songs and 85 of them I can't even tell the difference between them well I think that's why you know Master Ace also still uh, releasing music. I spoke to him recently. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you released an album, the warm up uh, last year as well. Um, so if you haven't checked that out, definitely check it out. Um, you know, you've got yeah. people like Method Man who are still coming up as well. And, you know, the whole Wu-Tang Clan is still releasing music. Nas is releasing music. And yeah. I think that you're right, that the the benefits that they add, it may not hit the the heights that they hit in the peak of their career, but you still have this constant drop of music and to show a a different way of using modern beats or a different way of using samples is always good for the genre. That's right. And I mean, and the the people you mentioned, I mean, they have big cult followings. So it's not like as long as they stay consistent with their music, they're not going to lose any, um, lose any fans. They can only gain. No, same. Look at Tech Nine. Tech Nine as well. He's been in the industry for for years, and he is, if anything, the cult following. Like he is, his Tech Nine fans are with him, ride or die. Yeah, and he's selling everything: umbrellas, lighters. (laughs) (laughs) I'm selling everything, and I applaud him. I applaud him. It just shows that you don't need to be the biggest. You need to be consistent. And if you're consistent, people will find you. People will find your music. And you. it may take you five years. It may take you 15 years. But whatever it is, if you want it bad enough, you can do it. Mm-hmm. That's definite. That's definite. One of the other tracks I actually wanted to speak to you about was a track that was produced by my favorite producer. I've, I think I've said this on every single podcast, but DJ Premier, uh, Love Is Gone, um, a track that you did with him. and Yeah, yeah. Uh, with, yeah, with uh, Immobilari. Yeah. How, how was that experience? Because he is, again, one of those producers who, number one, doesn't seem to age at all. His music is still iconic. Every beat that I listen to that he does is fire. I don't know. I honestly don't know. My dream would be to speak to him, but that's a, a, di- a different different thing because i would just be in awe of just his ability and he's got this unique sound it's so unique no one can replicate it in the same way that he can but how was that experience for you to have the opportunity to to rap over a dj premiere track um i mean it's great i mean we we've um we've hung out for years i mean of course, the, the world famous D&D Studios, um, you know, Studio B was practically Primo's room. Um, so we we worked, you know, we worked during the same times together. Um, a lot of times he was in the studio um, producing uh, Jay-Z stuff. Uh you know, um, producing other things. Um, you know, I used uh, for the Immobilari, 
um, album for a couple of joints. I used uh, his engineer that he used at the time, um, Eddie Sanchez. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was cool. I mean, because we, we were cool, but we were label mates before all of that. Um, they came, uh, you know, Gangstar, you know, him and Guru, they came to, uh, they came to this party um, that the whole EMI, back then it was EMI Capital and um, Chrysalis, right? They were like um, sibling labels. And me and Jay was there and they had come over to this party and they were telling us how they just left, um, I think it was Chrysalis, you know, about a, a money issue. And that's that's the first time, like, you know, we knew them, but that was the first time that I actually, you know, officially met and had a conversation with, with Primo and um and Guru. Yeah. Um May Live Forever. Uh so yeah. Another um, icon of hip hop, you know, Guru and and Primo Gangstar and again another another iconic combo in the nineties that, you know, lives on and ha- has influenced hip hop and you know, when I think of Guru, does he have the most exciting voice? No. Does he have the most, you know, does he have the most fluctuation in the way he sounds? No, he's got quite, you would say, a monotone voice. But for right. whatever reason, him and DJ Premier had the perfect combination. It was like it was meant to be. Primo knew how to bring it out of Guru and Guru knew how to bring it out of Primo. And at the end of the day, like like you said, it's not about being, you know, the most gifted. It's about work and it's about finding those relationships that really bring you and elevate you to the next level. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, those are, um, and, it, and it's good. It's refreshing to see individuals from, you know, that era and some even before, you know, still moving around and actually moving and shaking in in the music industry and having influence and, you know, the uh, the right people, you know, recognizing who they are and, uh, you know, giving them, giving them their due props. Yeah. I think, I think we sometimes can forget about people like that, but, you know, Never, never can it be, you know, unjustly talked about. It needs to be talked about the the influence that people such as yourself have had. And, you know, there's actually a recent track that came out, Rolling 50 Deep, um, where Grandmaster Kaz was on there, um, where mm-hmm. Melly Mel was on there, um, Ice-T, and, you know, all these, you know, old school cats, the originators of, you know, the, the hip-hop that we love today. Um, mm mm-hmm were on the track and that's, you know, a sci-fi 50 artists. And it was amazing. I just went through when I watched the video, I was honestly blown away by who they got on that track. Again, another DJ K Slay track. Yes, indeed. 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 Yeah. I was, um, I was talking to somebody about that and I was, um, very pleasantly surprised and, and I hope he doesn't take it offensively. Um, at Ice T's verse, just the the, I mean the delivery, and what he was saying. It, yeah, he was, I was in my top five. Impressed. We did a yeah. podcast on me and 
uh, my friend Danny, we did an episode on the Rolling 50 Deep track just because it's such a unique track. We did a top five and Ice-T made my top five verses. I just thought, like you said, the delivery, the content, he still got it. It just shows yeah. they all still got it. Grandmaster Kaz, Bun oh, B. Kaz, of course. That's yeah, no brainer. Bat um, Bun B delivered. Yeah. Oh, it was it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanna um I wanna thank you for your time. My pleasure, man. Well, I got one question, one last question. It's the only planned okay. question on the podcast. It's literally the only one. If you had okay. to recommend one album that everybody listens to other than your own, what would it be? Oh, <laughs> I mean, is it relegated to hip hop or anything? Whatever. It can literally be whatever. Um, I don't know if that um, made it harder or easier for you. Uh, it does. It, it, um, there's so many, but I, I'll pick, I'll pick one. Um, uh, earth, wind, and fire. Head to the sky. That will. That is. You're the first one who said that. But if you haven't checked it out, definitely check it out. It's you know bigged up by my man Jazzo. Um, I appreciate your time, Jazzo, for for speaking with me and and being so open and honest about you know your career and and your influence. And um, as I said before, if you haven't checked out his new album, The Warm Up, definitely check it out. Go back, listen to his catalog. You'll definitely learn some things. Um, and as we discussed, the originator, the the one who who invented a, the, a, a flow, someone who's really been an influence in hip hop. So it's been a pleasure for me. And you know, is there anything else you wanted to shout out? Obviously, you can follow you on Instagram as well. Oh yeah, definitely follow me on IG, um, Jazzo KKMG. That's J-A-Z-O-K-K-M-G. Um, also, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern time on Saturdays. Um, you can check out my IG live. It's called Settle Back Saturdays, where I highlight, you know, uh, songs, a couple of throwbacks that um, I had something to do with, either my songs or produced by me or features with me. And, um, you know, we talk about it. I, I mean, I got to gazillion stories, you know, and I'll pick one out my brain that relates to that time and, you know, a backstory to me performing the verse. Also, um, get the I Move Different, the I Move Different, Kings County. Um, you can get that at imovedifferent.myshopify.com. Definitely, definitely get out, support Jazzo. Um you know, if you want to hear more of his music, you got to support him. So um, I'm definitely a fan and, and you know, I appreciate your time. And, you know, next time you drop anything or even if you want to just talk and let some more stories out, let me know, man. This was an absolute pleasure and, and a real, a real you know, honour for me to, to speak to someone uh, such as yourself. I very much appreciate your time, man. And we'll talk again. Sounds good. I, I literally cannot wait. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the show. Please like and subscribe and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for all upcoming podcast news. Bye for now.